0: And he is the one that is in control, and he is the one who is the head of our church. I'm not the head. The elders are not the head. Jesus is the head of the church, and we need to keep our focus and our eyes upon him. He is the one who has led us up to this moment. He's been faithful for more than 90 years, and he's going to continue to be faithful as we keep our eyes and our focus upon him. A couple of things I do want to remind you about. The Dugans are going to be available this morning at 11.30 to 12.30 in the cafe. Uh, I want to encourage as many of you as possible to stick around and interact with the Dugans from 11.30 to 12.30 p.m. this afternoon. It'll be after the second service. And this will give you an opportunity to hear a lot more about what God's doing in the Dominican Republic. And then later this afternoon, starting at 3 o'clock to 5, Eric Dewey is going to be talking uh, in the fireside room about his ministry, a sports ministry in the United Kingdom. Uh, This, again, is a wonderful opportunity for all of us to begin to interact with our missionaries, get to know them a little bit better. And so I want to encourage as many of you as possible to take advantage of both of these opportunities to uh, interact with our missionaries. Also, I want to encourage you to keep praying. How many of you keep wearing that bracelet? Do I see any bracelets? I see a few. Okay, we need to keep praying for the pastoral search. This is what's been happening now for a number of weeks and months, and the search committee is in the process of wanting to bring in a candidate for an on-site interview. I have been encouraging you before I left, and I'm encouraging you even now to keep on praying as God is at work in so many unique ways. And uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Take advantage of that devotional booklet, 30-day devotional booklet. I hope you are praying on a regular basis. Uh, There are so many uh, factors and and issues that are uh, happening in our church at this moment. We as a congregation need to seek God's face in prayer. And uh, there's no shortcuts. We have to set aside time to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray, especially for the search team. Pray also for those that they're involved with that God would continue to lead in that process as well. All right, this morning I want you to take your Bibles, please. We're going to have to hustle up through this. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's uh, right after the book of Obadiah. Uh, I would encourage you to open up to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to camp out in this chapter the entire uh, time this morning. And uh, the message will mean a lot more if you have your Bible open or if you have a a device that you are following along with the text. Uh, There are some very important truths that we want to underscore in our thinking this morning as we begin this series on how to make life worth living. Jonah hadn't discovered how to make life worth living. And as we work our way through this little book, uh, we're going to see the journey he was on until it finally, and we don't know even if it ever dawned on him, uh, how to really make life worth living. But it's an amazing journey, and we want to take you through that uh, with the help of the Spirit of God. Please open to Jonah chapter 1, and please stand. We're going to read the first six verses of Jonah chapter 1. It's a small g. He doesn't even know who the real God is. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah is the story of a man who thought he knew better than God, took matters into his own hands, and we'll see what God does in terms of pursuing after his runaway prophet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth. Help us to grasp the significance of this passage. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we are living in a runaway world. Kids are running away from their families. In fact, we have a problem of homeless children today because. More than a million kids run away from home every single year in our country. You can see their pictures on the internet. Sometimes they're on the uh, cartons of milk. But kids are running away from mom and dad. We also have parents running away from their kids. Parents are running away from their responsibilities. They're not even fulfilling their responsibilities many times. Oftentimes, When there's been a problem in the home, the dads leave and the dads never provide any kind of child support. In fact, 40% of all those that have abandoned their families owe their families incredible amounts of money simply because they are running away from their responsibilities. People are running away from reality. They're desperate to escape the stresses and the tensions and the pressures of everyday living. They want to get away from it all. They're so fed up with all that's happening and they just wish they could just leave and run away. Have you ever felt like that? I have. There have been moments in my life when I wished I could just fly away. Then I would be at rest. I identify with the psalmist when he says in Psalm 55:6, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. People today are under such pressure, such stress, they live for escape weekends, exotic getaways to help ease the tension of trying to keep up with all the pressures and the strains and the problems of life. People are on the run today. We're running from reality, from responsibilities. We're running from relationships, and yes, there are many who are running away from God. We want to take a closer look today at a man who was not running away from his kids. He wasn't running away from his family. He wasn't running away from responsibilities or from difficult situations in life. No, this man is running away from God. The Old Testament book of Jonah records Jonah's flight from God. Somebody has humorously said that Jonah is the, quote, high water mark of the Old Testament revelation. It's that expression of, of the grace and the sovereignty of God in ways that we've never really experienced it before. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, give me a break, pastor. Do you really believe that stuff about Jonah? Do you actually believe that there's a fish that could swallow a man whole I mean, that's the greatest fish story I've ever heard. Indeed, a lot of folks like to poke fun at the book of Jonah. I think of the Chicago industrialist Robert Ingersoll, who he, well, he challenged the Salvation Army Lassie, who was there ringing the bells at Christmas time, and he comes up to her and he says, uh, do you believe the Bible? And the little gal said, I certainly do. Do you even believe the story about Jonah? Yes, I do, said the little gal. Well, do you believe uh, what's said about Jonah and the whale? You actually believe that there's a fish big enough to swallow a man whole and keep him alive for three days and three nights? And the little gal said, I certainly do. Well, how did he breathe? What did he eat? What in the world did he do while he was in the belly of the fish? Well, said the little gal, I, I guess I'll have to wait to heaven and I'll ask Jonah up there. And uh, Ingersoll said, well, what if he's not in heaven? She said with a twinkle in, the eye, in her eye, then you can talk to him. <laughs> you see, You see, Jonah is a, is a real person. Jonah is a real person. And there's been a lot of speculation that he's just kind of a a figure that that kind of appears on a scene. No, Jonah, for our study, Jonah is a real person. He comes from the town first of all of Gath-Hefer in 2 Kings chapter 14 25. It's well known in ancient history. Today it's identified with the present town of El Meshed, three miles northeast of Nazareth in the land of Israel. So we have the fact that Jonah exists, that he comes from this town of Gath-hepher, and then we have the testimony of Jesus, uh, both in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, where Jesus refers to the prophet Jonah. In fact, he likens his own death, burial, and resurrection to what happened to Jonah while he was in the whale's belly three days and three nights. The Bible says as he, Jonah is in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and then be resurrected. Jesus also says that his generation did not believe who he was in contrast to the generation that repented of their sin in Jonah's day. So Jesus, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, considered Jonah to be a historical individual. Jonah is a real person. He's a prophet for, for God who had not discovered how to make life worth living. In chapter 1, he's packing. He's packing his bags because he thinks he can outsmart God. Chapter 2, he's praying because he's in a pinch. Chapter 3, he's preaching, but his heart isn't in it. And chapter 4, he's pouting because Nineveh, has not been destroyed. In fact, three times in the fourth chapter, he wishes that God would take away his life because he hasn't discovered how to make life worth living. Jonah is on the run, but he cannot outrun God. And in this particular chapter uh, that we're looking at this morning, we discover that God is in control of everything. There's not one single issue in our lives that he does not keep track of. First of all, we discover in this passage, number one, that God is sovereign in his direction. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The sovereignty of God is seen over and over again in this passage. We don't know much about Jonah. He gains notoriety because God chooses him to take his message to a city that desperately needed transformation. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And friends, when God speaks to us from his word, we need to stand up and take notice because God's word is totally and completely different from the word of man. When our colleagues speak to us, if a supervisor speaks to us and asks us to do something, we have a choice. We can either acquiesce, we can do what they're asking us to do, or we can refuse to do so and pay the consequences, but we do have some options. But when God speaks to us, there are no options. His word requires immediate obedience. It's imperative that we respond. And sometimes God asks us to do something which is in direct conflict with our human desires and wishes. And this is what happens to Jonah. Notice verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call against it, for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah doesn't like the message that God gives to him. He's commissioned to go to this great world-class city Nineveh and speak out against the wickedness and cruelty of that city. At various periods of time, Nineveh uh, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, an empire that had ravaged Damascus and Syria, had captured Judah and Israel, and at the time of Jonah, Assyria was at its zenith. God commissions Jonah, his servant, to go to a city that has ravaged and, and, and destroyed much of Judah and Israel and preach repentance to those people that had conquered and greatly afflicted Israel. And this goes so much against Jonah that he cannot stand it, and he turns and he does the exact opposite of what God is asking him to do. He chooses not to follow God. Jonah has the mistaken idea that God doesn't mean what he says. That somehow he isn't the man for the job and so he boards a ship and he goes in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish to flee notice from the presence of the Lord twice. He speaks there about the fact that he is fleeing away from the presence of God. I don't know about you, but man, I don't ever want to Be running away from the presence of God. But that's Jonah, and he goes in the complete opposite direction. And he goes to Tarshish, 2,000 miles west of Israel. He seeks to put distance between himself and God's call. The problem with Jonah is that he hadn't discovered that you can't snap your fingers at God without God pursuing you and reaching out to you as you've never experienced it before. He forgot the words of the psalmist. I want you to keep your finger there in Jonah chapter 1, but flip over to Psalm 139. He forgot these words of the psalmist, beginning at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, what? You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in the depths, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness, underscore this, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. There is no way any of us can ever escape the hound of heaven. God is the one who is in pursuit of us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we've experienced on life's journey. When we take matters into our own hands, the God who is the creating force and energy of the earth, he pursues after us. And Jonah is trying to get away from God. Friends, when God makes his will known to us, we cannot push it aside or dismiss it lightly. We can't put God's will on the back burner and hope for the best. It's God's will that all people come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that Each one of us as men and women who have been born in the image of God are reborn through faith in Christ. It's his will that we enjoy a growing relationship to his son Jesus. But for Jonah, it isn't a question of finding God's will. It's an issue of following God's will and recognizing the truth that God is in control. Unfortunately, many of us are just like Jonah. When God speaks to us and asks us to do something that is difficult, that is hard, we push back. Maybe God's been asking us to go an extra mile with a person who's been giving us issues and problems. But we refuse to do so. Maybe God's impressed you with the truth that you need to Say no, maybe to a promotion at work that would keep you away from your family or cause you to compromise your Christian principles. Maybe God encourages us to take the initiative in resolving a family uh, conflict or reaching out to people that look differently than we look. The person on the run is unhappy because they haven't learned who's in charge they think that they are. They have forgotten the main truth of Jonah that God is sovereign. He is in control and he controls the direction of our lives. Number two, God's not only sovereign in his direction, he is sovereign in his dealings. You see this in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great Uh, upon the sea, there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I want you to notice some key words in this passage. and You need to put a circle around it. In verse 3, notice the words, but Jonah. Verse 4, but the Lord. But Jonah, but the Lord. But Jonah, but the Lord. Jonah wants to do his thing. God wants him to do his thing He is in this conflict with himself and God. But Jonah, but the Lord, he thinks he can escape the word which the creator of the universe has given to him. And so we see that Jonah boards this ship, and while he's on that ship, a great storm comes because God is in pursuit of his servant. Now you picture the scene. I mean, Jonah is running, God's pursuing. We know who's going to win, but not Jonah. God has ways of getting our attention, my friends. If we will not listen to him, if we will not follow his will, he can make arrangements that really do grab our attention. Jonah, of course, is oblivious to all of this. In his exhausted state, as soon as he gets on board that ship, what does he do? He goes down into the depths of the the ship in the bow. He falls fast asleep. Look at verse 5, last part of the verse. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This speaks of the false security that he had. He thought he had actually outsmarted God he thought he had pulled one over on God. And so he goes down now and he's in the bow of the ship. He's falling fast asleep. He thinks everything's going to be okay. And little does he realize that in just a few minutes, the captain of that ship who has no understanding of who the living God is, is going to come down there and he's going to shake Jonah out of his sleep. And he says, what do you mean, O sleeper? Cry out to your... God, small g. He doesn't even know who the God of Israel really is. Isn't this ironic? I mean, Jonah is running away from God, big G. And now the captain of this ship, who doesn't know anything about God, is asking Jonah, who's running away from God, to call out to his God to somehow deliver them from what's happening with the ship and with the wind. Can you imagine his response? Have you ever been awakened out of a deep sleep? I mean, goodness sakes. You know, oh, man. I mean, you are really disoriented. Every, I mean, Jonah must have thought he was having a major nightmare, Have this foreigner screaming at him, call out to your God. Call out to the one that you're running away from. And then he goes on, and the... <laughs> You know, the captain's not very nice to him. Uh, In verse 8, he says, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I mean, he's in Jonah's face now. I mean, they've thrown everything overboard to lighten the ship. Nothing has happened. And here Jonah's, you know, fast asleep. And so now... (laughs) The captain gets in his face. And this was not a, a, a fireside chat, by the way. Uh, this was something where he was interrogating Jonah very specifically. And he says, pray to the gods you are running from. How sad. A man running away from God is admonished to call out to his God from someone who doesn't even know the true God exists. It's amazing. Jonah's disobedience not only affects him, but now all the members of the crew are at risk and in immediate danger. None of us, my friends, are islands to ourselves. What we do or do not do impacts others, whether we will realize it or not. When we give in to rumor and speculation and gossip and we pass that stuff on, or we create suspicion in other people's minds, trust me, it breaks God's heart. It breaks His heart. When we take matters into our own hands and determine to do our own thing and we reject the voice of the living God it breaks God's heart. When we are bitter and hateful toward others, it impacts our lives. But it also hurts the one who is hurling the insults. Jonah and the entire crew now, it's not just Jonah, but now the entire crew are in the middle of a great storm simply because one man A man of God decided to do his thing, not God's thing. If this tells us anything, it tells us about the seriousness of disobeying the voice of God. Now in verse 7, to deal with the situation, they cast lots. This was the way the ancients made decisions, and the lot fell upon Jonah the one responsible for this great misfortune. See, God is in charge. Jonah mistakenly thinks he's in charge, but now he's confronted with the error of his way. When you run away from God, when we run away from him, we get into bigger trouble than we could ever have imagined. You can say what you want to about Jonah, but after he is interrogated by the captain of the ship, notice his response, verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's a remarkable statement. Because remember, Jonah has been running away from this God. God. Now he says, he said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He acknowledges the one true God. I mean, he could have said, ah, lay off, guys. Is this the way you treat guests on your ship? (laughs) But that's not what he did. He acknowledged the fact that he himself was going against God and running away from him. And we have to admire his courage at this point. He shoots straight from the shoulder. He faces up to reality, and at that moment when he identifies with God, he begins to become the man that God has been calling all along. He becomes a God follower in ways that he had never been before. Friends, you see, God allows difficult and adverse circumstances to come into our lives in order to make us better people after his own heart. Jonah didn't want to preach the gospel to the people of Nineveh because they had basically ravaged and destroyed all of Israel. He doesn't want salvation to come to those foreign wretches that have plundered his nation. His attitude has been that they don't deserve salvation. But my friends, God is in charge and now Jonah does something he said he would never do. He acknowledges that he belongs to the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and all that is in it and the dry land. He ends up doing that which he said he would never do. He acknowledges the living and true God. Jonah learned something about the sovereignty of God in all of this. I've discovered that many people have a foggy understanding of who God is. We think he is some kind of a distant mirage that maybe he performed great things in the past but he's not up to helping us. God may have been able to handle things in the past, but he can't compete with advanced nuclear physics and laser beams and next-generation computers. In fact, God can't compete with artificial intelligence, and all the technology of our world he can't keep up with. Friends, that's not true. The God that pursued Jonah and the God that pursues everyone who's on the run away from him, he is not old and inept, He is eternal. He's not intimidated by technology. He's the source behind all technology advancement. He's not awed at all of our techie gadgets. He provides the intelligence to create them. He may be invisible, but he is still in touch. We may not be able to see him, But he is still in control. He knows every single thing about us. Our failures, our successes, our ups, our downs. He knows everything about us. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the one who is in control. And his desire for each of us Is that we would come to the place in our lives where we recognize that we are not in control That Almighty God is calling the shots in our lives Even when we're running away from him and think we can outsmart the God of the universe Number three God is sovereign in his discipline Notice they said uh, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Just as a father disciplines his disobedient son, so God disciplines Jonah. And as soon as he is cast overboard, everything ceases. The storm ceases. But, the men on board were reticent to throw him overboard. Now, it's very, very interesting that after Jonah reveals to them the fact that he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, that instills tremendous fear in the hearts of these mariners. Now, you'll remember in verse 5 that it makes it very clear. When the Mar- then the mariners were afraid They each cried out to his God, small g. Now remember, these mariners are are not rookies. They are seasoned seamen. But when they experience this tempestuous storm that gets greater and greater and the intensity of it becomes more and more, they are so afraid they cry out to their God, small g. They don't know the living and true God. But notice... As we'll take a look at verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out, now notice the change, the Lord. they call, These mariners, jo- Jonah has expressed his confidence in the living God. Now these mariners are not crying out to their God, small g, notice Verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life or lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You see the transformation that's happening in the lives of these mariners. At one time, they have no understanding of who the true God is. Now, because Jonah has identified with God, they have embraced him, and now as the sea becomes even more tempestuous, they cry out not to their gods of idols and, and stone and wood. They cry out to Jonah's God, oh God, please, please protect us lest we perish for this man's life And lay not on us innocent blood. That tells us that these mariners that were foreigners, they respected life. They just didn't, on a whim, pick up Jonah and throw him overboard. They did everything they possibly could not to have to take this drastic measure. But when the seas continued to churn and become uh, uh, so tempestuous that you couldn't navigate, They throw him overboard. And as soon as that takes place, the sea stops raging. Notice verse 15, So they picked Jonah up, hurled him in the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Now what are the results of God's discipline? God is pursuing Jonah, but he's also disciplining him. What are the results of God's discipline? Number one, the mariners are made to fear God. There's a sense of terror, but there's also a sense of absolute confidence that Jonah's God is the true God, and they are made to reverence and to fear him. Verse 16 Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. When God disciplines us, my friends, it's so that we can be refined to the point where we can be effective in carrying out the purposes of the sovereign God. So the first result is that the mariners, these foreigners who had no understanding of who the living God is, they are made to fear God. Number two, God uses Jonah's experience to give God glory. Notice the last part of that verse and it says they, that is these mariners, offered a sacrifice, notice not to their God small g, but to the Lord, L-O-R-D and made vows. These men who had had no understanding of who the living and true God is they now Offer a sacrifice to him, and they make vows. They give glory to God, who now has calmed the sea and spared their lives. And then lastly, you'll notice that God prepares a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Verse 17, notice, and the Lord appointed. You're going to see this phrase, the Lord appointed, throughout this book. It speaks once again of God's absolute sovereignty. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, let me ask you a question. You just think that that great fish just happened to be there? I mean, they're on a raging sea. There's all kinds of fish in the sea. But God appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah. It is a sign of his control over all the events of our lives. And so therefore in the final analysis, the great question is not... Is it possible for a great fish to swallow a man rather the question we need to ask of what is the fish a great sign it is a sign number one of God's sovereignty that he is in control of every issue of life we can never escape from him we can run, we can take matters into our own hands, but God will keep on pursuing us. And my friend, if you're running away from God today, He is pursuing you. You will never escape His presence. You may try, just like Jonah, you may do your own thing, go in your own direction, but let me tell you, God will pursue after you. It is a Sign of God's sovereignty, and secondly, it is a sign of His amazing grace. God, in His sovereignty, preserves this runaway serpent in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. He could have tossed him overboard and let him die, but God extends grace. Grace. To those that are on the run from Him. And my friend, if you're on the run from God today, God extends to you His grace. He's delayed His coming so that you can put your faith and your trust in Him. If we learn anything from this first chapter in Jonah, we learn this awesome truth that God is in control and He wants all of us to come to that place of repentance when we put our faith and our trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you and thank you for this amazing story of Jonah. It's a reminder that uh, we can't play games with you. You are the sovereign Lord of the universe. You have all things under control. And I pray for anyone here today that is trying to escape your presence, trying to take matters into their own hands that somehow today they would surrender to you and they would say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. I want you to call the shots in my life. I'm tired of messing things up. I'm tired of doing my own thing today, Lord. I want to embrace you as my Lord and Savior. I want to take advantage of the grace that you're extending to me today. And so in these moments, as we sing a closing song, people need to make that kind of a commitment, help them to do so. And to do it with confidence that when we turn from our sin and we turn from that which we know is wrong, you will abundantly pardon and you will give grace and strength and confidence for the rest of life's journey. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Together. Speak, O Lord. Truths and chains stand together shall we for closing prayer it's all about our heads no looking around if you've come to that place in your life where you're going to stop running and you're going to put your confidence in the living God if God has touched your life in some way this morning I'd like to pray for you in closing prayer I'm just going to ask you if God has then at work in your life today that you would just simply raise your hand up in the balcony, down here on the floor. If God has spoken to you and you're going to stop running and you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus, we just lift up your hand. Yes, I see these hands. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand. Yes, you may put them down. Yes, in the back. Yes. Yes, thank you. You may put it down. Anyone else? Up in the balcony. Over here on the sides, anyone else just with an uplifted hand, I want to pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for these that have lifted their hands, and I pray that they would experience the joy of walking in obedience to you, that they would experience the touch of the living God in their lives, that they would leave here knowing that they have met the Lord, and as they take sides with you, you will never, ever let them down. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your presence with us today. May we value your presence. May we want to linger in your presence, and may we as a church never run from the presence of the living God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.